0: Hey guys, this is Kurt. And Logan. And we're here to talk about Battle Bards.
1: I thought we were here to talk about how you're a terrible father pimping out your son.
0: What? 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 Nothing. (laughs) Okay. No, Battle Bards is great fantasy audio.
2: I wouldn't know that. Only things I care about are cartoons, balloons, Star Wars, candy, opiates,
1: dogs, (laughs) Pokemon, video games, fireflies.
0: Do you even know what those are?
1: Existentialist paintings.
0: How do you even know how to say that?
1: The sound of farts,
0: (laughs) ninjas, and electronics. Okay, that's a lot to process. Farts? Really? Oh, but check this out.
2: Lord Arnog. Is a
0: wooden symbol. simbolo? Bida octo mon far stay out with Mon casa buhaudon Fuchitangali Asparos
2: Oh, scary
0: <laughs> And this <laughs>
2: Impressive.
0: You can't deny this though.
1: Okay, that's very cool.
0: Okay, Logan. So, how much would you pay for that awesome audio?
1: 13.2 pesos?
0: There's no such thing as 0.2 pesos. 1500
1: yen? 500 pinks? Republic credits.
0: That's not even real. That's Star Wars, Logan. Well, let me tell you. You go to battlebars.com. You sign up for an account. And not only do you get that premium audio, but you can get a little something from us also. With the $10 and $25 packages, you get one free track with MFGCast1 as your coupon code. Buy a $50 or $100 package and get five free tracks with the code MFGCast2. That's a half of an album. For free, just for using that coupon code. Could it be any easier? Buy the $150 and $300 packages. Not only do you get most of Battle Bards fantasy audio, soundscapes, music, sound effects, etc., but you also get 10 free tracks with coupon code MFGCast3. A full album for free for using a coupon code from us. You're welcome.
1: I'll just buy that great audio right now.
0: Wait, but you have to you have to ask your parents
2: permission before you buy.
0: This is the MFG cast. Mm. guys i'm kurt i'm Paige, and this is another great episode of the mfg cast welcome people we have another it's another day another night whenever you're listening to this we got another great interview we've got brandon rollins from pangea games brandon thank you for coming on the show
2: oh thank you very much for having me on
0: so we've actually talked to brandon before but last time we actually talked to him on one of our blog posts about his uh funded game war company or war co awesome little uh deck building game is that what you call it no
2: expandable card game
0: expandable card game Jeez.
2: they're like really close cousins in genre anyway
0: that's right you can't call it an lcg because you get fu- you get sued by ffgs millions of uh, lawyers and stuff but yeah we're here to talk to you in person uh not only about your new game highways and byways but also kind of talk about your process So before we start into that, why don't we kind of talk about how you began in gaming. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how that all started.
2: Well, I had played a lot of video games as a kid, as well as like your big box board games, you know, the sort that you would find in Walmart, your Monopolies and Scrabbles, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But modern board games is where the story gets really interesting because I got into it in the most, um, let's just say backwards way imaginable. I was making Warco before I knew that the hobby board game market was like an actual thing that existed and that people were making games like... I'd heard of Catan and Ticket to Ride, but I didn't know much beyond that. I was making my own thing for a few months before somebody actually sat me down and said... This goes deeper than you imagine. yeah I'm gonna show you a whole bunch of games and, and like that's how I actually found out about board gaming as we think of it as we're talking about it right now. Um, you know like your carcass on Twilight struggled that kind of board gaming. Yeah, I got into design first and then probably around late 2015, early 2016, I started playing everything that I could get my hands on. game shops. Meetups, um, occasional Steam game, because they got some of the board games on there, and that's how it got started. it.
0: Wow, that's crazy that you decided to design your own card game before you even knew what really was out there. That that to me is like, no offense to you, but like if I were to think about doing that, I'd be like, man, that is just way too much, too big for my britches. But man, that's I get you a lot, of, give you a lot of credit for going out there and you know, wanting to make a game even before you truly knew what was out Mm -hmm.
2: there. I just chased the passion really hard, and then I got my expectations just dramatically readjusted at the beginning of 2016 when I realized, like, this is what it actually takes to get a game published. I was just out there doing this crazy uh, squinting at windmills kind of ridiculous task before I actually knew what I was getting into
0: it's amazing. So I went back and I actually listened to your interview with the Legends of the Tabletop guys, because, you know, we're, we're close buds and, uh, you know, it, it looked like you, you know, before you even, you know, could successfully come up with this game and, you know, get it to the masses, you had to go through a little bumps and stumbles and stuff like that. So kind of tell us your process of that and how it kind of helped you, Figure out, you know, the right way to do things.
2: So no matter how well you do things in board games, just making any game requires an enormous amount of iteration. Like, to get to this box right here, that took me, that's like the 21st version of this game. And Warco took 17 versions with bigger gaps between each version. So that's like, that's a normal bump and stumble. That's just part of the process, unavoidable. But I will say that even bigger than that, because I just completely um, didn't know what I was getting into at the beginning of 2016, I had launch on Kickstarter, raised like 20% of the goal, which was way too low, by the way, um, and then failed to do that, canceled after a couple of weeks. After that, I just wrote down a whole bunch of stuff that I would do differently with Workout and uh, spent six months uh, Getting good in gamer parlance, I suppose. That means just, like, um, yeah. focus on getting the game done, focus on getting the art done, talk to as many people as possible, play everything that I could find, send out to the send out the game to anybody who would listen, stuff like that.
1: It's definitely a good learning curve for you, I can imagine, mm-hmm. isn't it?
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: So, so this is something I always like to talk to, talk to about people about, about Kickstarters and stuff like that. Go through a few things that I know that you always kind of blog about you, you know, what's going on with your games and stuff like that and how your development is going. Why don't you kind of go through some tips and tricks that people could learn from, from the things that you've learned on your path to making successful games?
2: oh my goodness I'm not even gonna try and rank these I'm just gonna go stream of consciousness here
0: yeah I was gonna say yeah don't I don't I don't need like number one is this. <laughs> this is the most important number two you know just like go off the top of your head give some people some ideas of what what they could be
2: what they could be in for I've talk to lots and lots and lots and lots of people who are making games, and a lot of people are actually really, really good at making games. But the main difference between a game that um, is good but won't go anywhere and a game that is good and absolutely does go somewhere is just simple building an audience you have to be able to build an audience and the only way i know of doing that well there's two ways there's two ways of doing that either get lucky and you talk to somebody really big really early on or you do a lot of work and you just talk to people you try and help out anywhere you can be generous really just give people content give people advice share experiences do stuff like that play test with others and have them play test with you building an audience is like the number one thing that actually makes a difference between a good prototype and a good finished game. And I think once you get past audience, which is the biggest one you absolutely have to get right is get your other basics, right? Get your manufacturing, right? Get fulfillment, right? And make sure you completely understand those like cost, timetables, how you actually get a game from your brain in America or wherever you're listening to this. Um, to a print shop overseas, usually in China, to a warehouse and you know, who knows, it could be in the UK or Europe, to like ha- your actual customers, understand every single part of that. Ask experts if you have to, long phone calls, emails, read a bunch of blogs, whatever it takes to understand that part of it. Once you, once you crack building an audience and fulfillment, those are the two hardest things to get right.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with the whole audience thing because I think that is, like, the number one thing that people will get wrong when they get to to a Kickstarter misstep. I'm not going to say failure just because we all kind of, you know, misstep in the things that we do. You know, I think a lot of people, like, you know, know, even with us, you know, people will contact us, like, during a Kickstarter, and it's like, you, you can't do that. You have to do it, like way before the kickstarter has even started because you got to get got to get a ball rolling you know you got to get people excited about it. unless unless you're these big companies that don't need that help i can understand that but if you're just starting out and you're looking for this game and you're hoping it for it to really go somewhere you got to really be you know if you if you know that in let's say we're coming out with a game this year say it's uh, July of 2018 is when the game is going to be on Kickstarter. you should be thinking a year before that how do I get this rolling you know maybe even a year and a half two years even of that you know you gotta you know hit all those streams you gotta hit all those people you know you might even hit them a second time you know like you know say you're doing you're asking somebody for a blog post or you're doing a podcast or something like that don't be afraid to be like, Oh, I talked to you about this about 6 months ago. Now I'm going to talk to you and talk to you about it now because just like anything, th- things change. Things get better. So then, you know, after a while, it's like, okay, here's some other things I learned and, you know, here's some things I can pass on, but also, you know, get people excited about it. So, I definitely agree on that because it seems like when I, you know, the, the times that we've talked to people, that's that seems to be the number 1 thing. And then, you know, your second your second point is is Knowing what you're doing. I mean, you really do because you can't, you can't go in there blind because going in there blind is the worst because nowadays with board game geek and how people are just, it's so easy to get things on Amazon and, you know, and it's so easy for people to just buy something that's easily accessible to them. You have to make it almost more than easy for them to kind of know what the, know what your game is and know what it's all about. And, you know, you have to be in constant contact with them during the Kickstarter, like, hey, here's an update of what's going on here because it doesn't take much in this day and age for people to just be like, oh, that thing didn't work out. I don't really care about this. I'll just drop out of it, you know. So you have to be, you have to be very careful. The
2: tricky part is holding people's attention for more than a couple of weeks because there's always a cooler, newer board game coming out.
1: I feel like a big part of that is um, once you build your audience, you have to be uh, approachable as as well. You know being approachable is just as important as building the audience because people come and go like you say, and it's it's just it's really tough to you know you're gonna be forgotten if you don't present yourself as someone who, who people can talk to quickly and easily. you know the hype I guess wears down off of what you're working on.
2: And once you tear away, you know, yeah. the glossy box, the 330 GSM card stock linen finish, once you tear that away, and, you know, worker placement mechanics and all that stuff, it's actually about human connection. That's what these board games are for. You put them on the table, you get together with some friends, you have some laughs, you exchange some banter, and you have a good time. Like, that's what it's actually about, and that's what people need to, I feel like, need to build when they're building up an audience easier said than done i mean this is really hard to get right but you have to just get out there talk to a lot of people try and have fun help out and make that actual connection that's the real difference that's the uh, i think that's the chemical x difference between something that makes no money on kickstarter or fails to fund and makes a lot more as far as indie projects, when you're talking about big companies stuff, that's a that's a different playing field than what I I normally do.
0: So, when you're designing a game, do you think of a just a basic outline for something, or do you really focus on the story of the game before you get into the mechanics?
2: I've done one design in each different way. Warco was a mechanics first game. I had these ideas for how you would be. Force into tight situations like with limits on how many cards you could hold or, or how much energy you could use. I had mechanics first and I thought, what theme would work for this? What theme works as a metaphor for what I'm trying to do? With highways and byways, I did the exact opposite. I said, road trips are awesome. The American interstate system already looks like a board game. What can I do to actually turn this into a thing with mechanics that you can play on?
0: So when it comes to let's talk a little bit about highways and byways. So when you when you think of making a game like this, do you study other games that are similar like your tickets to ride and stuff like that and try to stay away from it? Do you look at those and think, well maybe this will work but maybe that won't work as well? You know, what's your thought process when you're making something
2: like this? First thing I like to do is I ask myself what's the actual message that I'm trying to convey? What is the core well, I call it the core engine of my game on my blog. Like, that's a, that's a term I've been throwing around for a while. It's like, what is like, what is the essential part of this game that I want people to take away? I start with that. For Highways and Byways, it's a feeling of being in motion. For Warco, it is this feeling that you are always hanging on by your fingernails, that things are always scarce, that there's always a tough decision. It's not that way with this game. I start with that and then I start working backwards like how do I how do I actually convey that? I look at what mechanics are out there because it's really hard to invent new mechanics. You might express them differently, but like board game geeks got a list of 80 or something mechanics and you'd be hard pressed to invent something that doesn't at least share surface similarity with one of those. You can, uh, like for um, highways and byways, a Ticket to Ride comparison is pretty fair. This is a giant map of America with dots and lines on it. The reason, uh, one of the things I did was first, I'm like, okay, I got to make sure I'm not copying them directly, (laughs) subconsciously. And after I did that, I say, what are they doing here that I, I like? And with Ticket to Ride, I said, they're conveying complicated spatial information in a way that's really, really simple and approachable. You look at Ticket to Ride, and you've got a pretty good idea what's going on. So I decided to take that, and I, I wanted to run with that. I, I, then I picked up little piece, bits and pieces from games I like, like uh, Pandemic's got, I, I forget what you call them, but they're different roles, different people. I'm blanking on the right term, but um, essentially just different player powers, right? I did that. You have little vehicle cards, and each one has a special ability. So I used something similar to that. Pandemic, you know, kind of drilled this idea into my brain, and I I ran with it. I I saw something Twilight Struggle I liked. I liked the way sometimes you have to play a card that is terrible for you, but do so at the right time. I did a modified version of that, where you don't choose the card, but you have a limited amount of control over your hand, and the player clockwise of you chooses your card. And so you can kind of influence what they could potentially pull from your hand by managing it. You wanna you wanna like listen to this deep down voice of them about what you're actually trying to do and then look at what's out there for the best way to express it.
1: Alright, so uh I got a question. When you're when you're going through mechanics in your head and deciding what you want to put into your game how far away do you get from a core mechanic so let's say you've got set collection from ticket to ride let's say you want to do something like that but a little bit different how far away do you step uh away before you go okay well you know what this this is unique now for for this game or like you say you've taken influence off of other games where do you Say that this step away from that, but it's still doing a similar It still gives you a similar mechanic Where's where's the definition for you to? To say that it's different. Is it adding a second mechanic that changes the game? Or is it or is it just doing something slightly? tweaked out uh, from what you would expect maybe
2: in a lot of ways me how you actually make a mechanic original is you just kind of think about what you want to do, and then you realize that it's similar to something else later, something else that you already played. Like, you hear a song, you think that's a cool melody, it comes out in a song that you wrote later. But at what point does your expression of a mechanic become different than somebody else's? That's a really interesting philosophical question. I'm trying to give you a, a good answer for that. The only one I have is... When you play test it with a lot of people who have hit, who have played a lot of games, and it doesn't and when you say, "Is this like this?" And they say, "Now that you mention it, and it's not like something that immediately comes up, I think that's when you know you made a pretty substantial uh, you made you are are diverging from what your actual source material was. That's how I think you know that just by other people's opinions, playtesting. Cool.
0: Okay. Well, I'm glad Paige asked that question and you answered it because it actually made me think of my question now. So when it comes to those similar mechanics and stuff like that and you're playtesting it, do you have people that go oh i you know i you know this is this or you know this reminds me of this and you know is it something where when you get that if you if you get that is it something where you're like oh that i love that they thought that way or is it something where it's like okay i don't want you to think of that game i want you to
2: think of this game. i write down just about everything i hear in playtesting just to watch out for stuff like that um like if if People have made the Ticket to Ride comparison, and I say, well, that's a good one. It's about travel. It shares a physical, it shares like a visual similarity to it. That's a good one. But if someone says, um, you know, this reminds me of a game that I don't like, I, I think to myself, if I hear that more than once, that's a sign that I should be doing something different. If I write down what somebody says, and it's a game I've never heard of, it's a sign that I should go pick that up in a store and play that just to see what they're talking about. I look for I look for common comparisons. Part of the magic of writing this down, too, is if it's a good comparison and it's something people have heard of a lot, you can use that in a cell sheet, too. Or when you're trying to compare <laughs> it to something else.
1: Sorry, do you ever find that it's a disadvantage to be able to compare your game to something else? When you're finding that comparison a lot, when you're trying to sell your game in a sell sheet would you be worried that publishers are going well if it's like ticket to ride why don't we just play ticket to ride
2: yeah and that's always a risk with somebody who's publishing something when you're self publishing you get a little more you get a lot more leniency to just do what you want and, and people will actually see the difference generally having a comparison i find is beneficial cuz a lot of people, if your game is not an outright knockoff, which is really hard to do anyway, um, if your game is not an outright knockoff, a comparison is usually a positive thing because people like people like interfacing, not necessarily with things they've done before, but with things that look like things they've done before. They say, "Well, this is a little bit like this. I've had experience in this thing, it makes me more interested in that." If people say, "I don't know what this game is. I don't have anything to compare it to," it's it becomes a lot riskier. It's a lot harder to, um, to convince people to actually, to buy it and to play it and to try it.
0: Yeah. It's funny because it just, it made me think of the equating it to like you, when you see a band or, you know, somebody that's in a band or something like that, they're like, and you're and my, one of my buddies was in a band for a while and then he, they, they've kind of, he kind of evolved into other bands, stuff like that. And the one band that was a bunch of my high school friends, everyone always, always like, oh, this song reminds me of Metallica. And oh, this song reminds me of this. And they were like, and they were like, how about all these songs remind you of us? We don't want it. We don't want <laughs> that comparison, you know? So it's, you yeah, know it's interesting, you know, thinking about board games that way, because I mean, gosh, I mean, obviously there's millions of board games out there. There's going to be You know, not one is going to be that much more, you know, unique to the next. You know, there's going to be some things here and there, of course, but like there's just so many games out there now that, you know, you can't, it's hard to have that game that's not the game that doesn't remind you of something else or doesn't have similar mechanics because they've all been defined, you know, and it kind of influences us to do the things that we do.
2: Music's a great reference point too, because they're working with a limited number of notes and actual ways of expressing them. But I cannot tell you honestly that, that like looking at Spotify right now that there's nothing new out there. There's more new stuff than I've, than honestly anybody has time for and yet I say, I turn on the radio and I'll hear something and I'll be like, oh, Weekend is kind of like Michael Jackson, or I'm going to try and use um, examples from different eras so I cover all my bases for everybody listening. Soundgarden, that's kind of like Nirvana, you know, ZZ Top is kind of like, oh goodness, I, I'm trying to think of another 70s, or like T-Rex, like T-Rex, like you just, they're, t- they're different, like they have their own sounds, they're distinct, and yet you can compare them to one another, And people will say, okay, so they're like in the same neighborhood then. They've got some superficial similarities
0: yeah and I'm old so I get those references but no, I like that I like I like you know that that whole comparison yeah it just seems like yeah in music it just seems like that's a whole thing you know and that I've even done that whole thing with like your first your first re- reference with the we with the weekend and Michael Jackson because you're just like wow their bo- their voices are so very similar even though their music is way different you know it's just it's crazy to you know see the comparison it's got
2: that it's got those same pop roots it's got similar beats it's got similar chord progressions yet the tone is different the theme is different they they're doing different things with with effects like reverb and you can definitely hear distinct voices and distinct vibes there's something intangible there that like you make a comparison it, it gives you a little idea but the only real way to tell the difference is to listen to them both preferably yeah. side by side and I
0: Yeah, and I I suggest you do both of that, because I like all those guys that you pulled up. Uh, Let's see. I'm just a big
2: music fan in general. I I've started making computer-generated playlists, because I don't even know what to listen to anymore.
0: Uh yeah, it, it, Spotify is. Uh, I, I know we're getting off on a tangent. Yeah, sorry about Spotify that. Spotify is like it's it's all other beast. Like I, you know, I get a few minutes at work to you know listen to music or a podcast or something like that, and I think, man, I've listened because I used to work at a music store, so like I've listened to so many things, and then I go to Spotify and I go what am I going to listen to?
2: I'll have to give you a couple up. of links. I could
0: pull up like the same three people I can think of, you know, and then I'm like, boy, I've listened to probably thousands of artists, but I can't think of five right now. I'll have now, to know?
2: give you a couple of links after the show if you remind me. Nice, nice. Definitely
0: have to do that. That'd be great. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Pangea Games. I wanted to know exactly why you decided to use that name as your, as your uh, company name.
2: At first, I was just struggling to come up with a business name, and I thought Pangea sounded cool. Just being honest, full transparency, but as time went on, I'm like, you know, I could actually make a pretty good metaphor out of this, and now my thing is bringing the world together through games, which is a reference to the supercontinent Pangea. Nice.
0: That's awesome. I just wanted to do that quickly, just because, I, you know, every time I talk to you, you know, I. It's funny because Pangea Games is not a thing that really comes up when, you know, when you're, you know, even on your website and stuff like that. You know, it's not like you're not, you know, not trying to get it out there, but like, you know, I always see, you know, your your Web page is different. It has a different name and, you know, on your Twitter, it's different, too. So I'm just like, oh, I was kind of interested to see what that all meant.
2: That's on purpose. Um, Pangea Games is just what the Tennessee Department of Revenue calls me right now but in the future if i am if i ever say publish other games or, or or just do something else game related that isn't strictly making games that's when you'll start seeing the name Pangea games actually get pushed more right now like the most prominent thing it's on is my discord server
0: yeah yeah that's great so so when it comes to playtest Boy, that was terrible. When it comes to playtesting and stuff like that, you know, I know that you've used Tabletopia and Discord and stuff like that. Tell us, you know, what in what ways that is that's helped you kind of build the games better, and you know, just kind of been able to you know make the process easier for you.
2: Using online playtesting tools opens a lot of opportunities to you that you just wouldn't have when you're actually playtesting in the shop. You still need to play test physical prototypes and very early on, too. And play test with people offline very early on as well. But, like, once you've got an idea that the game physically works, you start asking yourself how do I make sure that people can play this even with communication obstacles, like you deal with when you're doing it online? How do I make sure that people can play this who for whom English is their second language and not their first language. How do I make sure this game actually translates to people who live outside of my own country? That was a big question with Highways and Byways, which is literally a neon map of America. Using online playtesting tools lets you answer all those questions because you can find people from just about anywhere. You open up a game at 2 in the afternoon on on a weekend here, and you'll find somebody... In the UK, for whom it's seven o'clock at night, or in Spain, for whom it's eight o'clock at night, and you can play test with them, and you can get different viewpoints that you just wouldn't be able to get in a local game shop. I'm still a fan of physical testing. I'm a fan of testing alone and with your family, with your close friends, game shops, proto spiels, but online play testing—it's really good for just reaching out to a lot of people who you would never be able to reach out to in real life. It also takes really good photos too. And like Facebook events leave behind a trail, which is kind of important when you're building an audience.
0: When it comes to these different, boy, I'm having trouble with English today. So when it comes to play, you know, all these different types of play testing, what is, what do you find is like the most effective?
2: For me I just use different kinds of playtesting at different times. Before I ever let another human being touch a game I've created, I make sure it functions. Like I will not I won't even subject my extremely long-suffering wonderful brother to a game without making sure that you can complete it. And it's the self-testing for all that. Just don't even bother anybody until you got something you can complete. Pick somebody who you can really rely on. Um, you know, like a family member for me, it's my brother. Cause he's, um, he's right on the other side of that wall right now. He's a college student here. <laughs> um, and I got a spare bedroom. It works out beautifully, but um, yeah, he's my, he's my first play tester, right? Um, find somebody you trust to do that early play testing. And then once you get something that you're like, okay, this has got a spark here. This is actually fun. Then you go to the game store then you get it online. Um, then you hit up people in Discord or you find people on Tabletop Simulator. Um, I use online testing at this point because physical prototypes are expensive to create or time-consuming, even if you print them out. It's just a fact. Um, wh- whether you're making these with like coins and paper, it's still either time or, or money cost. Yeah, get that in Tabletop Simulator. Try playing on that. And once I feel like I've got a game that I could actually print, like with um, with art, then I will get a fit. Uh, then I'll get like a, a prototype copy from a place like Board Game Maker or the Game Crafter, and I'll take that to like a playtesting convention, get some designers to touch it, give them a beautiful looking prototype to get their expectations really high before giving it to people who are essentially technicians who know how to find everything wrong with it. And then have a blind test it. Just like go sit in another room and give them feedback forms and just let them do their worst. That's a, I guess that's the most effective kind of playtesting, but the, the journey you have to get to in order to get to that point is really, really long.
0: Excuse me, and I think that's that's very good advice too where, you know, a lot of people think it's just going to wham bam just come out and it's like no, you there's a lot of work involved. If you figure
2: out how to do that, let me know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding could be right now. Huh? Hey, look at this. I made it. It's perfect.
1: That's how it works every time.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Every time ask anybody that's ever made anything <laughs> of worth. So, with your brother helping you play test, do you trust him to give you the honest truth about what works and doesn't work or is it something where you know maybe sometimes because you're related that maybe he will give you the i'm trying to think the easy version of what maybe is wrong or right with it
2: (laughs) he won't say it but i can read misery and joy on his face (laughs) because i've just lived with him for so long Uh, you know you grow up with somebody you, you can read them but uh, I can tell when something's working and not working for him. Nice, nice. He won't say it though. Oh, uh, he won't, huh? No. Nah. <laughs> he's he's very polite. <laughs> he he will give he will give constructive criticism, but he'll like sugarcoat it at first. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I, I know you're not a fan of that. <laughs> you can be honest with me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit more about Highways by and Byways since we've kind of been talking a little bit about the making of and stuff like that. But why don't you talk, tell a little bit about, you know, what, why exactly you decided to make this game? What's, gonna, what's, the, what's the wow factor that's going to pull people in that they're, you know, really going to be excited about playing this game?
2: Why make this? Do you want me to answer the why make this or the wow factor?
0: I want you to answer both. Number one, why? Number two, whoa.
2: Okay, so after the Warco campaign, that was one of the most just ridiculously strange experiences of my life. So a couple months after that, I just drove from Tennessee to the Grand Canyon. I just did it. I just got in my my old Camry and I drove Tennessee to the Grand Canyon, to Yellowstone, and then all the way back to Tennessee, and I did that in like a week. And I have done a handful of trips like this. I've driven like to the southmost point of Texas. I drove up to Maine earlier this year. Uh, I've driven to the outer banks of North Carolina, which is just this chain of islands with ocean on both sides. I did it because I like road trips and because I saw potential for a board game and the highway system is really built for that kind of thing with the checkpoints. It's already got lines and dots on it pretty much. Um, that's essentially why I did. I wanted to capture this feeling of wanderlust in a game, um, and I, I, you know, I think that actually segues into the into the wow factor, into why people actually connect with it. And this is what I've seen actually, just listening to people and and hearing them respond to that. You get a sense of adventure just by looking at the game, like the box itself is actually. You know, I don't know how well that works with the lighting in my, in my office right now, but like the, the box itself is you're literally driving off into the sunset in the middle of the Southwest and the whole game, every single mechanic in it is just about, you know, plan your vacation, travel on your vacation. These are some things that can happen on your vacation from, be it from your car breaking down to getting really good coffee. Um, all of that is just baked into the central theme of movement and taking a trip. And it, every car is like this is, is like what it looks like it your parents could have driven or like you might have gotten it as a uh, as a first car. Uh, every every vehicle in there is like a is like a late 80s early 90s beater too. Like the whole thing is just built to give you the sense of adventure and and hanging on and taking a tough road trip.
0: So you talked a little bit in before about other the uh, player clockwise to you basically making your moves for you. How does that all work out? How does that shape out?
2: Okay, how that actually works is once you spend the first third of the game planning out your route through card drafting, every player gets five event cards. And then how that works is you have limited control over your hand throughout the entire game. But the player clockwise of you, you hold out your hand and they pick a random one out of your hand. And whatever's on that happens to you, you can control whether you focus more on getting good cards or whether you focus more on moving, but you can't control which specific card they pull. Just whether you have more good ones or more bad ones in your hand. But even still, they never quite make their, their – they never quite make your move for you. They just like pull a card that says you can move extra spaces this day or you have to be west of your current location or something like that.
0: I like that. I like that aspect of you know um, the random chance that somebody else pulls for you instead of yourself.
2: I also think there's an important element of physical connection because a person actually has to grab something out of your hand, which makes people look each other in the eyes for just like the briefest moment and do something. And sometimes there's like, yes, thank you. And I can't believe you did that to me.
0: Yeah. Well, with me, every time someone's pulling a card out of my hand, I'm intensely staring at them for the whole time. I'm going yeah. to make them nervous <laughs> about taking it, no matter if it's good or bad.
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. There's like this weird little metagame I've watched people do where they'll look at somebody and they'll try to fake being worried when someone pulls a good card or starts to pull a good card. It's, it's just it's silly stuff like yeah, that.
0: that. That comes from, I I feel like that comes from old school gaming where like you used to play like old maid or something like that. And someone's grabbing a card and you're like, oh, no, don't take that card. And then they take it. Oh, like, yeah. Ah, sucker, you know, yep. Everybody's got those little mind games that they play, you know. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love it. So you talked about, you know, you wanted to get everybody kind of feeling like the, you know, like they're in the theme and stuff like that. So basically you're you're planning your road trips. You're going on these trips and stuff like that. You've got your cards set out and stuff like that. So how how does this you know how does how do you pull this all together? How does it how does it all come about to make it f- make you feel like you've been on this fantastic bombastic road trip and stuff like that?
2: The only real answer to that is playtesting, but I think art also plays a role in it too. Into into suggesting playtesting is how you know. Above anything else, above all the theory, it's all playtesting and tracking that and listening to feedback how you actually suggest to people that they're on a road trip, you've got two levers to pull as a designer. You can either do mechanics, which for me include point to point movement because it's essentially racing. That's the whole idea. Drafting for planning, card drafting for planning, hand management for like day to day planning instead of trip planning. Um, That's how I do it from like a design standpoint from art. I just say to my artist, I want you to look at postcards and I want you to just crank out something, like just let them sit in your mind and just crank out something like that. And we have, we have whole design sessions that turn into that. And I just kind of let uh, James do his thing with that.
0: Yeah. I, I like some of the art that I've seen it. It does look like it's photorealistic, kind of postcard uh, postcardy kind of like, you know, you know, uh, Greetings from Texas, or you know, hello. Yeah, that's exactly what we're going to. Aloha from Hawaii. I I like that. It it makes me think of like almost like an old like '90s show, where like you know they'd have the they'd have the thing, Mm -hmm. you know, they'd have the last thing, and then it would kind of fade into like the color black background and stuff like that. I like that that aspect. So, are you working? Have
2: you ever go ahead? Have you ever like walked into a 1970s motel and seen the way that they're painted? No, I haven't. We're trying to get the... Oh, my goodness. I've I've been in and out of a lot of... I've been in and out of a lot of motels that needed renovation, because, frankly, I'm a young man, and I'm kind of a cheapskate anyway when it comes to that (laughs) stuff. Um... I tried to capture that kind of feeling, like the kind of the kind of way that you would look at, at travel in the 1970s when road trips were just starting to be a thing that everybody could afford. Yeah,
0: actually, now that I think about it, yeah, I actually know exactly what you are talking about. because my, my dad was in the Marines, so we traveled a lot. So, yeah, I definitely know what you're talking about now. It kind of makes me think like there's is not just doesn't seem like there's a lot of road trip games out there. You know, now that I kind of think of the top of a game.
2: It surprised me too. I like I was looking on Board Game Geek. I'm like somebody has to have done this.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I was looking. I, I'm like there's no way somebody hasn't done this. And I was looking. Um, I was doing searches by mechanics. I was doing searches by subjects, and I couldn't find a whole lot of games like it. Mm-hmm. I'm looking on the big database where everything is, and I couldn't find a whole lot like it. Yeah.
0: Well, it's it's great that you've hopefully found a little niche that might be you know eventually exploited once you come out with this game because i you know that's one thing i like about anything in life regardless if it's board games or movies or music or whatever when you see something that's kind of got a uh, a new way of opening up something else you're like oh this is awesome you know i'm like i can't wait to see you know somebody else that gets their hands on this too you know to kind of come up with that
2: But I have like two wild fantasies that could potentially come from this. Um, One being, it it blows up and they say, we really want a European version. And I'll be like, okay, European road trip game or Australian Outback road trip game. That'd be awesome. Uh, The other one is, it actually convinces people to Google the names of the roads in there, which are all real. Everything in there is real. Yep, yep. Um, And convinces people get out of their comfort zone and do something really exciting i've got an upcoming campaign that actually will give people a minor incentive for um for sending travel pics like road travel pics nice um i can't i can't spoil that yeah but it's, it's gonna be good it's <laughs> no. gonna be cool
0: well that's a good idea because you know it 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 <laughs> opens up a lot of that idea of what you say like You know you could be like well you know i one one time uh you know out of the blue i went to this place you know and a lot of people probably haven't been there you know so it's like it it opens up a lot of good ideas that way and i'm you know i'm sure you might get you know even some of the people that are you know pledging on this kickstarter would be like you know you know what would be cool is if you added this to it you know i like that it it, you know it just kind of sparked my interest right now just thinking about it
2: Mm -hmm. people have asked me to add it People have asked me to add in different vehicles, like a stretch goals so or like, can you put an ice cream truck in the game? And I'm like, you know what? Honestly, like it, if I had time and that were a stretch goal, why not? Yeah. Like even as a decoration alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's how you know you're getting good engagement is when people want to pitch ideas. Yeah. Or when people start telling you stories. Yeah,
0: that's awesome. So, when are mm-hmm. we when are we looking looking out when are we going to be looking out for this game then?
2: Late March. That's what I'm shooting for right now. Late
0: March, nice. So people have got a got a lot of time to stew on it, save up their money. Uh, what are we what are we looking at? Do you have any uh, cost right now?
2: Most likely $49 for the entire game. I'm going to keep the shipping as low as possible. I really want it to be free in America. And I really want to keep that same subsidy and apply it to other regions as well. I'm still, I can't promise that yet. I'm still crunching a few more numbers. But just probably 49 for the game, free shipping US.
0: Nice. Well, make sure you keep the shipping low for Canada just in case Paige wants to get one. (laughs) Yeah, please. (laughs) I know you can't promise promise it, but work on it. (laughs)
2: That's not actually all that hard to do. I I mean, if you go through games quests, it's no more expensive to send to Canada than... Well, it's like somewhere between U.S. and Europe prices. It's not that bad.
0: Well, it's it's good to hear that you are coming along on this just as good as you were coming with WarCo. It was awesome to finally get on here and talk to you face-to-face. And um, so you said March. Do you have a specific date?
2: I have one in my head, but I don't okay, want to nope, say it. That's on fine. One yet. That's
0: fine. I just want to make sure. So, just mm-hmm. s- save your shekels. Put a couple of quarters in the in the old swear jar or whatever. Save up your money. Uh, make sure all that, your ducats. That's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Donate some plasma. Uh, sell your old shoes. Um, let's see. What else can I think of? Self- Start a
2: side hustle. Yeah.
0: Sell call your board games that you don't care for. There you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a dangerous proposition yeah, it really
0: is but hey believe me i know a lot of people that are listening to this that are like yeah i haven't played this game in a long time i should probably sell it so mm-hmm. there's lots of different ways to get new board games and that's that's what we're here about mm-hmm. so again thank you Bra- thank you brandon for coming on it was a pleasure talking to you and people just again save some money till march Check out Highways and Byways. I'm really excited about it, and I hope you are too. So, until next time, this is Kurt. This is Paige. And this was the MFG Cast. Legends of Tabletop Podcast,
2: creating legends one die at a time.